0: You might not realize this, but right now you are engaged in a war. Now, not just you, me too. For all of us that are followers of Jesus, we are exactly where we sit, engaged in a battle. A battle of our desires. A battle of our Affiliation, a battle between two distinct natures. This reminds me a little bit of one of my favorite movie franchises, which is Star Wars. Does anybody else like Star Wars? Yeah! I'm so excited for the next movie. It comes out December 20th, right around there. I'm really excited. I hope it's good. I hope it's better than episode 8 was. But I love Star Wars. There's there's a particular plot line that underlays this set of movies. And it's the back and forth, the interplay between two sides of this mystical, kind of magical thing called the Force. You see, the Force in the Star Wars world is the overriding sort of, of deity, the thing that's in everything, through everything, and controls everything. On the one side... You have the light side of the force. This is sort of the compassionate side, the love-oriented side, the selflessness. But then on the opposite side, you have the dark side, the side of giving in to all of your impulses, giving in to your desires. In the movie, my favorite character is this guy named Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren is a guy who is clearly on the dark side. He makes no qualms about it. He is evil. He is a dark side of the Force user and has no issues with it. But one of the things that's interesting in the movies is that at times, Kylo Ren starts to get hints that he's got a battle going on inside of his heart. You see, the light side keeps pulling him back. And in the same way for us, we have this battle of two natures in us. We have the side of us that is reborn, that is, as Christ followers, holy, that is seeking for the best of humanity. And at the same time, we have this sinful residue that stays with us, that keeps us focused on ourselves. So as I started thinking about This text for today, this is going to be what we're going to discuss is is what does it look like to live a life that is holy, that is set apart, that's God focused, but at the same time we have these desires to do these evil things, these pieces that are not following God. And as I thought about it, the first question that came to my mind is like, all right, let's just be honest, is this really a big deal? Like, if you're a Christ follower today, you are what we call saved. So that means that when you breathe your last breath, you're going to find yourself in heaven. And that means that you're going to get to explore and experience everything that heaven has to offer to you. So if that's already set in place, what's the big deal about giving into your desires a little bit? Is it really that big of a deal to, you know, have this thing, whatever that might be, have this lustful thought, this selfish thing, this thing that you would do anything to get? Is it really that big of a deal? Well, today, as we continue in the book of James, we're going to unpack this issue. I think that this is particularly hard for us, in part because our culture says that it's okay to go after whatever you want, right? Right? I actually found this quote online. I think it's kind of funny. It says, believe you deserve it and the universe will serve it. (laughs) I mean, shouldn't we get what we want? That's what the world's always telling us. Go after what it is. You're not going to offend anybody. Just do you. But James has a very different message for us. You see, what we're going to find today is that the way in which we engage our desires makes a really big difference in the landscape of our soul. It makes a big difference in the way that we engage God. And so if you have your Bibles today, why don't you grab them? We're going to be in James chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in a seat back around you. The purple seats have them in them. You can also follow along with me on the screens behind me. We're going to start in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So over the course of the last eight weeks, we've been traversing through the book of James in this series called Faith That Works. And James has had a strong message for us about what does it look like to be a Christian community? What does it look like to follow God in the world that we exist in right now? And one of the themes that's been an undercurrent throughout the entire book is that the way in which we engage others really matters. Like the way that we engage, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ, makes a difference in the way that we live our lives. Let me give you a couple of examples from things that we've touched on. In chapter one, we talked about anger. We talked about listening quickly and getting angry more slowly. That has to do with our relationships with other believers. In chapter two, we talked about favoritism. We talked about the sin of showing an undue amount of favor on a particular person in lieu of someone else. Again, that's in the context of our Christian community. Also in chapter two, we talked about how we should be treating the poor more, um, with more generosity, with more love, with more compassion than what we oftentimes do. Again, the poor among us. And in chapter three, we talked about How important it is that we watch the way we use this, the way that we use our mouth, the way that we use our tongue. And again, this is particularly in the context of Christians, of followers of Jesus. What James is saying in this first verse, what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from the desires that battle within you, is that our fights, our issues, particularly with other Christians, come from this battle that goes on in our hearts. Now, I know sometimes, for those of you who have have looked into it or been in church a long time or have studied the early church, we look at the early church and we say, oh man, couldn't we just be like they were? You see, right after Jesus died and was raised and ascended into heaven, the church was born, and people were loving on each other in miraculous ways. People were selling their stuff so that they could meet the needs of other people. There was great communal living, and I've heard so many people say, oh, why couldn't we get back to that? But it's really not as great as what it sounds. You see, throughout all of history, we've had this battle this war within us that says yes i do want to follow god yes i want to love him but man i just want this thing too whatever that might be and what james is saying is that it's these desires that cause so much of our problems so let's let's take a minute here i want to talk a little bit about what desire is you see desire is not actually an end in itself Desire actually points us to something else, and it's this idea of satisfaction. You see, when we engage our desires, whatever they may be, whether they are holy or unholy, it's all about finding this level of satisfaction. So when you and I were made, we were created with a little bit of a deficit in us. That deficit was this hole in our heart that God was intended to fill. You see, he created us so that we would love him, so that we would want him, so that we would desire him. And then because we love him, he would then fill us, he would satisfy us. And that's where desires come from. It's all about ultimate satisfaction. Now the challenge is, in our world today, we try to chase after a lot of things that satisfy us, don't we? You know, it might be that job, it might be that relationship, We chase after a lot of things, many of which are good things. But things that we think ultimately will satisfy us. But yet, that hole in our heart was only created to be filled by God. Let me give you an example. We're going to do something fun here. Okay, so I have right here a bucket. I want you to pretend for a moment like this bucket is the satisfaction tank in your soul. Okay? You follow me? I want you to pretend like when this is full to the brim, we are most fully satisfied. Now, we know that only God can fully satisfy us. But yet, there are times where we try to put other things into our satisfaction tank. We try to rely on these things, thinking this is going to be what I need. This is going to be what I need. This is going to be what I need. So let's take an example here. Let's pretend like this rock right here is that really great high school friend of yours. There's an element of satisfaction in that friendship, isn't there? Like this rock, it's it's the real thing. It's a real rock. But if a relationship with a person is the thing that you are striving for to give you ultimate satisfaction... It's not full. All right, let's, let's take something else. Certainly something will work, right? Let's take this particular stone. Say that this is that job. Like, you know the job I'm talking about, right? Maybe it's that VP job that you've been wanting so long, that marketing VP job. Maybe this is your deployment into the military. That's what you've been wanting. Let's see if this will fill it up. Nope. What about this one? It's a smaller one. Maybe this is a vacation. Maybe this is that trip to the Alps. Nope. What about this one? Maybe this is having more kids. Maybe this is child number two or three or four. Is that going to fill you, ultimately satisfy you? Nope. What about this one? Ah, we've got the big rock. This is that relationship. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend that you're living with. Certainly this this will satisfy you fully. It's not full. You see that's the way that satisfaction works. Although certain things in our lives satisfy us, as you can see, it's not full. Even if we were to put rocks in this entire bucket, take a couple hours working on all of our rocks, even then it still wouldn't be full, would it? Because there's space between the rocks. It's not intended to completely fill our satisfaction tank. Only God is made to do that. But the challenge is that the world tells you, hey, if that rock didn't work, just find yourself another one. You know, if that spouse isn't working out for you, psh, find another one. If that job's not working for you, find another one. That vacation, that experience, whether holy or unholy, that didn't fill you, oh, just find another one. It's okay. You see, the world tells us that we can fill our satisfaction tank with any number of things except God. But yet God was the one who made the whole. He was the one that built the tank. And because of that, only He can provide us ultimate satisfaction. And what happens when we continue to try to pile stones in our tank, when we continue to try to fill our own lives, we start to get dysfunctional in the way that we operate. You see, we have a really strong desire to be satisfied. In fact, everything that you chase after, at some level, has its root in satisfaction. I want to get that job. Why? So I can be satisfied. I want to make all that money. Why? So you can be satisfied. I want that relationship. Why? So you can be satisfied. We are satisfied, driven people. But the problem is, when we look in the wrong places, we start to get really dysfunctional. We start to be really messed up individuals because we're putting the wrong thing in there. And James, in this next section, gives us a couple of examples of what that looks like when we put the wrong thing in the tank. Let's continue reading, starting in verse 2. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet But you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god when you do ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures so james he goes through four different kind of categories of things that we desire that we want that we hope to put into our satisfaction tank, that it might fill those things. Let's go through each one. The first one, you don't, excuse me, you desire but do not have, and so you kill. The idea here is that we will go to great lengths, even sinful lengths, to fill our tank. Now, I don't think most of us are gonna go to the level of actually killing someone. At least I hope you're not an assassin. Like if you are, please remind me not to make you angry. But the point is that we will do so much, even evil, to try to get what we want. Like, imagine how bad the world would be. Imagine this. How bad the world would be if you knew you wouldn't get caught. You were guaranteed 100%. I will not get caught. How bad would things be? How bad would you be? How bad would I be? If I knew that whatever I wanted, I could get and I would never be caught. We will go to great lengths to get what we want. One scholar named Ralph Martin, actually believes that this was what was happening in the first century church. He contends, based on the language, based on what was written, and the group of people that James was writing to, that there was actually people, religious zealots, that were going out and plotting to murder Roman officers as a part of this. So in a very real sense, the audience to which he was writing were actually plotting to kill people. How bad are our hearts when we're trying to find that thing that will satisfy us. So I'll go back to the question, is it a big deal that we find what satisfies us? Maybe so. There's a movie that my wife Amanda and I watched not too long ago. It's called The Founder. And The Founder is the story of a man named Ray Kroc. Now Ray Kroc was the founder of the McDonald's empire. But the thing is, is Ray Kroc wasn't the founder of the first McDonald's restaurant. That was actually founded by two brothers named Mac and Dick McDonald. And they started this restaurant, this walk-up burger joint in San Bernardino, California. And it was wildly successful. And in the movie, which is based on the true story, Ray Kroc, he was selling these soft serve ice cream machines. He was having a terrible time trying to move these machines. And then the McDonald's restaurant, they called up and they said, We need like eight or ten of these things. And so Ray is just blown away. He's like, What in the world? So he drove all the way out to California. He was in the Midwest somewhere. He saw what they were doing and he wanted it. And he was willing to go to whatever lengths possible to get what he wanted. So he forced himself into the company. He tried so hard to to get in, and finally the two brothers, they were exasperated, they were so busy, they took him on cautiously as an additional partner. And over and over and over and over again, Ray completely ran over the two brothers. He ended up wedging them out of the company. In fact, store number 100 of McDonald's Ray put right across the street from the original McDonald's restaurant. And it was the final steak. We will go to crazy lengths to get what we want if we think it'll fill our tank. In similar fashion, in verse 2, James says this, the first part of verse 2, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel And fight. As I think about this, the first thing that came to my mind is sibling rivalry. I have a younger brother, his name is Andy. He lives in Chicago with his wife. And I can remember when I was a kid, we used to fight all the time. I mean, for a hundred million different reasons. But one really specific example is my grandmother had this tandem bicycle. Here's a picture of what a tandem bicycle is if you don't know it it's a two person bike. Right? You've got the the first person, the person in the front, whose primary responsibility is to steer, and the person in the back is the grunt worker, right? They're the person that's really driving the engine. Now, as you can imagine, when my brother and I were riding this bike, if he was in front, well, I wanted that. You know, if you're in the front, you got all the power. Like, hey, we want to go to the convenience store and pick up a Milky Way. You know, we want to go to the park and play. We want to go over to a friend's house, whatever it might be. I can remember vividly sitting behind him and just messing with him because I wanted it. I want to drive. Andy, it's my turn. It's my turn. Pull over. Stop. I want to to do it. I want to do it. And I would just pick a fight because I coveted what my brother had. In the same way, back to our question, is it a big deal? I don't know. Let's continue. The second half of verse 2 and verse 3. This, as believers, as followers of Jesus, this, I think, hits us in a really sore place, in a really hard spot, and it deals with our prayer life, with the way in which we talk to God. Verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So there's two things in here. The first one is, you do not have because you do not ask God. You know, there are so many wonderful things about living in the 21st century, about living in the West in the 21st century, and in America as 21st century people. But there are also some things that are are negatives. There's a double-edged nature to that sword. And one of them, I think, is in this area. Like, we don't really need to ask God for a whole lot, do we? I mean, we have access to clean water, to good food, to decent housing. Most of us in the room have a cell phone. Like, we don't have a lot of needs based on our perception. And so I think it's easy for us to not ask God, to not seek his help, to not chase after him. And whenever we're trying to fill our tank with things other than God, we forget about Him. And I think that that also helps to answer our question Is it a big deal that we do what we want to do? We feel as if we're self sufficient. Verse 3 When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. This one is a tough one, church. Because it deals with our heart. Like, what's your motivation in prayer? Like, this one's touchy, okay? This one's touchy because I think that we should be constantly praying That we should always be in communication with God. We should always try to surround ourselves with God. That's a really important thing. But make no mistake, God is no genie. He is not a genie in a lamp. And sometimes I think we approach prayer this way, where we say, God, give me this. God, give me that. God, grant me this. God, go do this. Go do that. Go do this. Whatever that may be, amen. And think of how manipulative that can be. Like I imagine my relationship with my wife. If the only thing I ever said to her was, Amanda, clean the house take care of the kids, make me dinner, change the oil in the car, mow the grass, amen. <laughs> like, what kind of marriage would that be? Ah, she probably wouldn't stay married to me for long. It's manipulative. And I think what James is saying here is when we approach prayer, and we're only seeking to fulfill our desires, we're only seeking to please ourselves, to fill our tank with his creation rather than with the creator, we're doing it wrong. I can remember times when I was young, when I was in high school in particular, where I prayed, I said, God, give me a great job. I want to make lots of money. Oh, and I'll give you some too. God, let me marry a beautiful woman. God, let me have lots of kids so that I can, you know, have a great retirement plan. Like, I remember these things. These selfish, self-focused prayers. It's ugly. And yet I think sometimes for all of us, we continue to pray that way. These four things are only examples of us trying to fill our satisfaction in the wrong way. And what happens next is the greatest of all problems comes out of this. The greatest challenge, which is that we end up cheating on God. Let's continue in verse 4. As we read this, I want you to keep in mind that this is written to Christians. This is written to believers, to people who profess Jesus. James gives us this really vivid image of adultery. When we chase things of this world, when we try to be satisfied on things other than God, it's the same as cheating, as adultery. Now, I know sometimes we toss around adultery in church. I don't really hear the word adultery very often outside of church. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, whatever, and we kind of depersonalize it a little bit. But, like, have you ever been in a situation where a spouse has cheated on another spouse and seen what happens? It is horrific. It's horrific what happens. The carnage for the the couple, for, for children, for parents, for families. It rips people to shreds. Adultery is no laughing matter. It's a big deal, church. Many of us have seen, or perhaps even some of us have experienced adultery. Man, it is messed up. It is not the way God intended it. And what strong language that this question, this is it really a big deal to kind of, you know, chase our own desires, is answered with, By the way, that's adultery. God takes it very seriously. God takes it very seriously. So back to our question, does it make a difference? Is it a big deal? Yes, clearly it's a big deal. And so what do we do with this? Well, thankfully, James gives us some additional insight, but it boils into this idea that we need to be satisfied in God. That God, the ultimate satisfier, the one who made the tank, is the one that should be in the tank. Because in addition to, you know, all these things just kind of being whatever, the problem is they can all go away. They're all only temporary. But God fills our tank permanently. And so the question is, what does it look like to be satisfied in God? Well, James gives us a couple of ideas. Let's continue in verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. There's a couple of things, I think, if I can siphon what James says into a couple of buckets. The first is this. If we want to be satisfied in God, we need to be close to God. We need to be intimately connected to God. Now, what does that look like? Well, there's a couple of things I think that we can do. The first is that we need to be connected to God through his word. We need to be reading the Bible. Again, I I don't know why, but sometimes I have people come up to me and they say, you know, I just really wish that God would talk to me. Has anybody ever felt that way? Like, I just wish that God would just talk to me. That he would come to me in a vision or in a dream. Or he'd just appear right in front of me and hover and be like, hey, Jeff, what's up, dude? Like, I just wish that God would speak to me. And yet, these are people who have never cracked open a Bible. You see, the Bible is this really unique thing. It's the Word of God. Now, what that means is that God divinely inspired this book that we know as the Bible. He put the words in there. He gave the authors the appropriate idea that then fashioned this beautiful work that we know is His Word. And the Bible, it's not everything you can know about life. It's not going to tell you who's going to win the, Twiries, the Twins-Yankees series, although I have an idea. Right? It's not going to tell you if the Vikings are going to beat the Cowboys. And the Well, they probably won't, but you know, it doesn't matter. It's not going to tell you everything. But it's everything that we need to know to fall in love with God. It reveals his love for us, his affection for us, the sacrifice that he has made for us. And so if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not engaged in the Word of God, my challenge for you is to do that. Now one way that I like to do this is I like to listen to the Bible on my commute. That's a really easy way to do that. I use the YouVersion app on my phone, and I have this guy that reads the Bible to me. He's like this, this Englishman with this really deep voice, reads nice and slow, and he reads the Bible to me as I commute back and forth to work. How great would that be if instead of listening to, to talk radio, you know, or to the ESPN radio, or whatever it is you listen to on your commute, what if you just took a, just one of your two ways, back or forth, and you listened to the Bible? You listen to God's Word. You let it change you from the inside out. Another way that we can be connected and get close to God is in our prayer life. I know I mentioned prayer earlier. Prayer is important. It's an important element of us communing with God, but it's important that we have the right heart posture in our prayer life. One way that I think we can do that so that we can get close to God is in our prayer life if we adore God, if we worship Him in our prayers. So instead of saying, God, would you please do this and please do this and please do this, if we started by saying, God, wow, look at what you've done. Look at who you are. You are the beginning. You are the end. You've created all. You've created me and still for some reason actually cared about me. How amazing would it be if we started our prayer life that way? I would encourage you to try that, to try as you're praying to God, to just two or three things. God, I just love what you did in nature. It's so pretty today. God, thank you for this relationship. That one means so much to me, and I know that you're the one that put it together. And just see what God does in your life when you approach prayer that way. The first thing that we need to do in order to be satisfied by God is to be close to God. The next thing that we need to do is we need to take this stuff seriously. This is a taboo thing to say, I think, but we oftentimes don't take spiritual matters very seriously, do we? It's sort of an American, Western, 21st century kind of thing. Actually, it's more than that. It's an all-throughout history thing. You see, the Israelite people, even prior to Jesus coming, there were times where they took God very seriously and then there were times where they just didn't. They cast him aside. They cheated on God. There's a pastor of a church down in Texas. His name is Matt Chandler. And Matt Chandler in one of his sermons he had this really interesting idea. He said that one of the greatest sins that we commit in our culture today is not taking spiritual matter seriously. That it's one of the greatest sins that we commit. And I agree with him. I think it's so easy for us when things get hard or when things get serious to just plug into another Netflix show. Hop on and play Angry Birds on our phone or whatever, whatever you're into these days. Clash of Clans or whatever. So often we just don't take seriously what it is that God's trying to do in our lives. And if we want to be satisfied by Him, we need to lean in and we need to take it with a level of seriousness. I have a friend down in Texas. His name is Chad, and Chad and I used to work together. And Chad's a great guy. I, I love Chad. And he professes to be a Christian, and I believe him. I think that he is a lover of God. But the problem with Chad is that for so long, he has tried to have his satisfaction tank filled with things other than God for years. I remember when we were working together, he bought this really nice sports car, one that I know he couldn't afford, but he wanted it because it gave him some level of satisfaction. Then he wanted to get this great apartment downtown, you know, this fancy condo overlooking the whole whatever, thinking that that would satisfy him, but it didn't satisfy him. He tried so many things over and over and over again but he never really took seriously that God is the ultimate satisfier of the soul. Church, let's not be that way. Let's not be people that try to find satisfaction in other places because it's just not going to work. I mean, I've tried. I think many of us have tried unsuccessfully. I'm going to end with this. Colossians 3 one through two. I think this is such a beautiful exhortation, a, such a beautiful encouragement for us. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what's going on around Christ. That is where the action is. I love that. See things from his perspective. Church, we have an opportunity to be really satisfied. I mean, let's, let's, let's do a little real talk here. I want you to be satisfied. I want your satisfaction. But you're not going to find it if you don't find it in God. And so let's commit to doing what it takes to be satisfied in God. Let's lean into our relationship with Him. And let's take it seriously so that God might change us from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, in our hearts. God, I pray that that we would glorify you in our prayer lives. Lord, you're amazing. The things that you've done, the things that you're continuing to do, God. Oh, it's unbelievable. Let us keep our eyes focused on you, Lord. Satisfy us at the deepest levels. We love you, God. Be near us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.